I, I think I need to open up with some thoughts that I have had as this week has gone on. One of the things that I was able, I'll start with yesterday. So yesterday, if you watched, and I'm kind of a NASA nerd. My grandfather worked for NASA, so I'm a NASA nerd. And I, I, I watched us launch a rocket into space that at about five minutes from now is going to dock with the International Space Station. It's a completely new rocket design. SpaceX designed it. And so we do great things in our country. But on the other hand, I was greeted with the fact that this whole week has been about a man named George Floyd. Everything you watch now, it's not coronavirus anymore, it's George Floyd. It's kind of shifted. A man named George Floyd, if you haven't watched the news or you haven't talked to someone about it, died in police custody after crying out, I can't breathe. And what was happening was there was a police officer on his neck and they were restraining him, whether it was valid or not, we all pretty much know it wasn't. But when you watch a video like that, you can't help but be angry. And you know we're told not to be angry, right? Don't be angry at your kids, don't be angry at your wife, don't be angry at people around you. But I've been angry and emotional all week, grieving about how this was just so callously happened. And how the people of God need to be a people of justice. Not justice in, in, in this uh, revenge sort of way, but justice in what happened. And we sh also should be vocal about being anti-racism. So a few things that need to be said from a biblical perspective, and th this shouldn't be controversial, but it might be. God is a just God. If you come in this morning, and I don't know what Bible background you have or what, what you have uh, seen in your life, but God is a just God. Zephaniah 3.5 says very clearly, The Lord within her is righteousness. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust shows no shame. And I think that's interesting. God is a God of justice. So in this case, shouldn't we be for justice? Whatever that is, and whatever that the, the law decides, we should be for justice. But also, here's something that I, I find conflicting because, you know, you can throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say, about this issue, but I don't think you can do that when it comes to life. Because if you're for life when it comes to abortion, you have to be for life when it comes to other human beings. So, clearly, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. George Floyd was a child of God. He is a child of God. No matter what he said or did or what he looked like or where he went or what he did in his past, he still is a child of God, made it in his image, and should be treated as such. So what should the response be? It should be one of peace and understanding. Sometimes we don't have any understanding for people not like us. And maybe you think, well, this is one person and people are making this a bigger issue than it is. It's not... That, that we still should address the injustice of the issue. You can ask my wife. I've been torn up all week about this because I've seen as the week has progressed, people have become more and more violent rather than peaceful. And I, I've been grieving the loss of a man that could have been my brother. We all are children of God. And even more, Christ died that re to reconcile each of us together. This is why I bring up my third thought that I have here this morning. As I was writing this, I started to realize that we're going to talk about reconciliation, and we need to be reconciled to each other as the church and as a community. 
There's no place in the church for racism, but yet, here's the thing. I've had people tell me, if you're a pastor and you don't talk about this, then you're, you're not a pastor. And I thought that was just completely ludicrous because there's so much tied up in it, political and otherwise. But there is one thing clear from Scripture. God is a just God. We're made in the image of God. And so when someone dies in some way that we think is unjust, we need to speak up for it. That's why we need to pray and ask God. It's, it's a prayer. We need to pray for reconciliation, for repentance. When we know that we've judged other people in the wrong way, it's a bigger picture thing. And ask God to move in our hearts to reconcile our relationships. So this is bigger than, than just skin color or the place we live. It's basically, we have broken relationships. And how that shows itself is what's happening right now. And people are getting angry, but they're not angry in the right ways. We need to cry out to God because God is the one that can reconcile us. And so I want to start this morning in prayer, and usually I just start and pray, but I want to pray this morning because it's so important that we realize that just because something's distant and far off doesn't mean that it doesn't affect us right here. And it doesn't mean we can't learn from the fact that justice is something that God cries out for, and he is just. He's just with us, and he's just with everyone else. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we just pray for those of us that have just struggled this week, have grieved the loss of human life, have grieved the continued loss of human life from things that are happening all over our country. God, we ask, God, that you would help us to be a people of peace, a people of righteousness, a people of, of justice. But Lord, we know you are the just one. It's not our responsibility to, to get revenge or, or vindicate. But God, we are people that need to speak up and change and transform our world. So God, please help us this morning as we dig into your word to one, just, just realize that maybe we haven't committed those same acts, but we need to speak up on behalf of those that have not gotten justice. Because that's what we are. We're the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And he can empathize and understand us because he was unjustly crucified for us. He was innocent, and yet he still died for us. God, help us to be like Jesus, realizing that we need to speak up for justice. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I didn't tell you who I was, but I'm John Mueller, the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like to welcome you here this morning. I am so weirded out by all the things that we have to do for church now. Anyone else? Anyone else? Come on, raise some hands. Okay, there's some hands raised. So one of the things that I've been encouraged by, though, is that you guys are all here, right? So it's not like we, we're not going to church. So if you're watching online and maybe you have some concerns about coming, there, there is an understanding of you need to assess your own risk. And I, I released a video earlier this week. We just want you to assess your own risk. So we'd like to welcome you online and in person. Today we're going to be in the book of Philemon. And when you're a kid, you call it Philemon, okay? So it's spelled a little differently, but 
Philemon, and we're going to start a two-week series in Philemon called Reconciliation in Christ. How can you be reconciled to someone that disagrees with us? Anyone think that's a huge problem right now? You name, you name an area of topic, and there's going to be people that disagree with you. How can you be reconciled to people that wrong us? And what has Jesus done to change how we deal and relate with others? So if you have our app, you can click on there. Click on the app, the link at the top of the feed. You can follow our YouVersion event. If you're watching online, you'll get another device and be able to pull that up. So today we're going to talk about being a follower. Now, when I say being a follower, anyone have some kind of negative thoughts about that? Oh, they're just a follower, right? Someone laughed because it's true with being a follower. Why would, why would you be a follower? But in reality, if you're tested, until you're tested, no one really knows if you're following or you're just faking it, right? You can fake it. You ever heard the term fake it to make it, right? So you can fake it. So gold, I, I learned a lot about gold this week. So gold, before modern science, would have been tested. It would have been acid tested. There's, there's this idea that the gold would be rubbed on a stone, a dark stone, so that you could see the gold on the stone. And then you would, you would put acid on it, nitric acid, and the acid would erode the, the stone but not the gold. And it would immediately dissolve. So the stone would immediately dissolve, but the gold would still be there. But if it's not gold, but if it's not, or, but if it's not gold, the actual gold that you put on there would dissolve. So that's how they figured out what fool's gold was. And so if the test is gold for sure, you'd combine nitric acid, one acid, and then hydrochloric acid, and you pour it on there, and then all of a sudden the gold would be gone. And you'd figure out what it was that, that, that the mixture was. Okay, so you put these acids on there, and there's only a few acids that do this. If you have an acid test, and I'm not pouring acid on anybody, okay? I don't recommend that. That's not good. But if you have an acid test with gold, and you find out that it's gold because you poured the two acids on it, you are found that it's true. It's right. It, it, it's what it is. It's gold. So when you're a follower, what is the acid test to find out if you're real? What's that acid test? How do we figure out if you're just going to dissolve and run away or if... It's true. Just last week, we talked about Peter, and Peter denied Christ three times and ran off. It's like, well, what was the acid test there? The acid test was people asking him if he identified with Jesus Christ. Unlike gold, we cannot pour acid and find out, right? Okay, so let's talk about this as a metaphorical acid test. How can we flip the negative connotation about following? You know, I don't think I've ever had someone say, you're such a follower in a positive way. And so how do we flip that to a positive thing? Paul shares with us what it means to follow Jesus in Philemon and become a disciple. And so we need to turn there. Turn with me to Philemon chapter 1. We're going to go through, well, it's one chapter. So if you're following along, I, I had this week, we were looking at references and they're like, well, is it chapter one or it's the only chapter? Philemon's really short, see? It's the shortest, uh, close to the shortest book in the Bible. Um, we're going to read through verse seven. I'm going to start in verse one because Paul tells us here what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Apiphia, our sister, and Archibus, our, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of the lo- your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So this letter was written by Paul to Philemon on on behalf of Onesimus. Why would it be in the New Testament? Why is it so important? Why is it so important? Simple answer, because Paul knows what he is discussing would affect the entire church. And it had general application, not just for Philemon. I mean, I don't go and read through someone's letters from 100 years ago and think, oh, this is so applicable. No, this was a church to be read to the church of Colossae. It's a letter of recommendation. And so Paul's going to ask Philemon for a favor, one that could be only explained as a huge favor. You know, there's small favors. Well, this is like a huge favor. It's not something, something small. It's, it's huge. But first, and I, when I read this, I thought, man, Paul kind of butters him up a little bit here. Because the first seven verses, he greets Philemon and he prays for him. Well, guess what? What's our first response to someone that disagrees with us? Instead of tritely saying, well, I'm going to pray for you, you actually pray for them. I mean, doesn't that seem, that's not too difficult. You should just pray for them. This is the only place, though, in the New Testament, and this is so important to understand where Paul is right now. The only place in the New Testament that Paul opens a letter describing himself as a prisoner, as a prisoner, instead of an apostle. He's setting the tone for the letter. He's compelled by Jesus to talk to Philemon about Onesimus and on his behalf. So verse 3 sets the tone for the entire letter. Sets the entire tone. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand where that grace and peace come from. When When I look on the news this week, I don't see a lot of grace and peace. I don't see a lot of undeserved favor. I don't see a lot of kindness. I see a lot of anger. I see a lot of hurt. I see a lot of pain. And I see a lot of people that need Jesus. That's as simple as it is. And we, we think that, that we are not the people of grace and peace. Well, part of grace and peace is an action. Sometimes you have to make peace. Sometimes you have to give grace. There's something you have to do. And so God's grace and peace leads us to display grace and peace. Paul's greeting here contains the key components of reconciliation. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace is an undeserved favor. Grace is when my kids get ice cream when they've been bad all day. You know? That's grace. I'm kidding, kids. Don't go to your parents and think you're getting ice cream tonight, okay? We might believe that Jesus reconciles us to God and to one another, but it's different to act on that. We don't always act on it. We, you know, some of the things I've already said, you're probably mad at me. Well, I'm just, I'm reading verses from the Bible. You know why, you know why we get frustrated is when we feel conviction. So to see this lived out in a small community like ours in Colossae is the next level discipleship. It's the next action. Grace is not just words, but it's deeds. It's things that we do for others and on behalf of others. So 
there's something that we don't realize. We need grace to assess our own risks right now with coronavirus. Grace to let others assess theirs. You know, don't give a nasty look to the person going the wrong way down the Walmart aisle. How dare they? They don't know what arrows are. I'm sure they do, okay? Or maybe they never looked at the floor. That's what I hear a lot. Grace to not be divided like the world. We can't be a divided church. We should be the uniting church. Grace to others, grace for yourself. In a world filled with opinions, I mean, everyone can agree, I hope, that there's a lot of opinions, and we can say we have opinions about things. Grace to deal with a world filled with opinions and choose to deal in facts. What do we know? What are the facts? Give grace for all other things. Give grace for opinions. You know, we live in a country with the right to speak up and say things that other people find vulgar and and frustrating and irritating. And yet, we find that that we don't give grace for people to be like, I don't agree, but I can still love you anyways and care for you. Verses 4 through 7 continue Paul's thought. And some of the best verses, Amanda in our, our virtual lobby talked about earlier, Verses 4 through 7 describe what Paul considers to be of vital importance to Philemon. He's so much praying for Philemon and encouraging him. So what does God produce? God produces evidence of true discipleship. That acid test. Are you really gold inside? Or are you just some stone? We can see Paul thanks God for Philemon, but also is seeking God's will for him. There's two different things, thanking someone, or thanking God for someone, but also seeking God's will for them. Why does he do both? Because he's got a heart of love and faith in Jesus Christ. He has love for all the saints. That just, mean, that just means all the church. He's also shown a love, if you look in the book of Colossians, a love without discrimination and favoritism. Imagine that. You know, the word I use to describe our life right now is we're controlled by biases. We have biases in every situation. Well, I've experienced this, so it's got to be true of everybody on the entire planet. So everybody that looks like this is this. Well, that's not true. That's not how God works. We have to have a love without discrimination and favoritism. That's evidence of following Jesus. It's evidence of being a disciple of Jesus. He was following Jesus. The communication of our faith can't be just to the church. We cannot confine our love to Jesus and the church. We are here this morning, and if you are here, whether you regularly attend here or not, you're at a a, a gathering of Jesus Christ's church. He communicated his faith outside the walls of the church, though. It doesn't stop this Sunday morning. And things I say, maybe that will inspire you to say something, but really, read the word of God. And this time we become the church in all our spaces, not just in one building. There's many places that people are worshiping this morning. But God is using Philemon as an example to the Colossae church. He writes this letter, and I can't help but think, why is he asking him for something that no one in their right mind in that culture would do? He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. Paul doesn't stop. His prayers continue. He continues like, why is he asking this? And we will see. (laughs) But in verse 6, 
It says, the part, it says translated usually sharing of your faith, but really means partnership in the faith. And so the gist of it is there's a deep and mutual bond. Philemon, he's, he's appealing to Philemon because he goes, you are a dear brother. We're in partnership together. You know, and a partnership in the business sense or in a marriage sense is pretty binding. It's a mutual and deep bond. If your partner in business embezzles money, guess what? You're on the hook for it too. You know, there's no, there's no separation. And so, as, as one commentator said, this is a belonging to one another that leads to serving with one another. And so Philemon, you know, I said earlier, there's this like next level of discipleship is actually like acting on it. But it's not about attaining another level. Because Paul says in Philippians, pressing on towards the goal of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. It's not just about doing something extra. It's about partnership. And we're not alone in our pursuit of Jesus. You are sitting in a space this morning, and I, I, I can't count people. I can see some people up in the balcony, but we're in a space here. And if you look around at each other, which is really awkward, by the way, there are other people in here that love Jesus too. When, you're go, when you go home and you're alone and you're grieving about something or you're hurting about something, there are other people just like you grieving and hurting about the same things and we have one place to go and that's Jesus Christ. We can't forget that. It's also about deepening understanding. We can't do that alone. We have our Bibles to shape our worldview. We can read the Bible, the words of Jesus Christ. We have pastors to preach to us and teach to us. But guess what? That's not the end all either. We have the church to uphold us. Anyone have a bad week that wants to admit it? Come on. There's got to be some raised hand. So people online, you can't raise your hand, but maybe you're raising your hand. If you have a bad week, where do you go? The church, Jesus Christ, there's so much support. We need to uphold each other. We need to uphold each other. In the other letter to the same church, to Colossians, or Colossians chapter 3, it says 9 and 10, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We have a new self. We may have grown up in a situation where we are incredibly incredibly frustrated with people that don't look like us or don't act like us or other cultures. But I can tell you, there's nothing more uncomfortable for a person to go to another culture. I've been to Bolivia, I've been to Panama, I've been to Mexico, and you go to this other culture and you feel uncomfortable because it's not the same. And I've worshipped with believers in different countries, and it's way different. Most of you... I mean, I don't know, the first time I did it, I was like, well, this is weird. They have dogs in the service. There's like kids running around everywhere. And then I was like, well, Corona, now there's kids running everywhere anyways. Doesn't matter. You know, like, just, it just you see what I'm saying? Like, we, we, we're frustrated over small things, but if we have, if we've taken off our old self, which is about our preferences, and following and pursuing Jesus and put on the new self, then Paul says here in verse 6, we can have Full knowledge of every good thing that's in us. That is a promise that I want. (laughs) And we should all want. Every good thing comes from Jesus. The letter to the Colossians was the framework for being a disciple of Jesus. But this, Philemon, 
is the specifics. And we need to remember that this is the specifics. And we need to be asking ourselves questions like, do we have grace and peace? Are we seeking it from God? Are we giving others grace in this time? Do we see videos and we just get this angry look on our face because we're so frustrated about what's going on in the world? Or we disagree? Are we giving others grace in this time? Are we living as a people of peace rather than disagreeing over opinions? I jokingly have a few different friends that I know which news network they watch and I call them by the news network to mess with them. You know you know what I'm talking about? Those kind of friends? So I'm telling you, that is not the best way to go about it. I'm telling you, like, like we can be a people of peace rather than disagreeing over opinions realize that we are one church, the church of Jesus Christ. Is there evidence in our life of, our, of, of us being followers of Jesus? Do people know that we're a follower of Jesus, or are we just going along with the crowd? Is our understanding of Jesus deepening? So now, now that Paul makes it clear that Philemon is following Jesus, this is where it gets heavy. This is where he has to sacrifice something. And you know what? If, if, if this is the first time that you've heard anything about Jesus, or first time you're at church, or, the, or maybe it's the hundredth time you're at church, I'm praying that God sensitizes your heart to this, this book. Because this book is really heavy. When you follow Jesus, you're going to make sacrifices, but the reward on the back end is so much greater. We lose sight of that. To be with Jesus is so much greater than anything else. So he starts this request, Paul does, on behalf of Onesimus. Verses 8 through 11 says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Okay, wait a second here. He said he can command him, but then he appeals to him. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father came in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now, I'm in, now he is indeed useful to you and me. So I'm just going to give you something that I believe firmly is probably what happened after this. And we'll go through the rest of the letter next week. But the fact that this letter circulated in the early church, means Onesimus was freed from slavery. Why else would the letter circulate? If Paul asked this and he didn't do it, why, why would they ever circulate the letter? No one would have circulated this letter in the church unless there was proof of transformation. And that was the proof. So I know slavery is a hot topic. It's not something that we talk about in church. And honestly, this was probably the worst week to discuss this. But it is really a thing. And, and slavery in the New Testament was different than the slave trade that come, came much later in the United States and the Caribbean. But it wasn't entirely. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote something so you kind of have some of the nuances and differences. In the, in the first century, slaves were found in all professions. All professions. And generally more opportunity for social advancement than free peasants. Economically, socially, and with regard to freedom to determine their future, slaves were much better off than most free persons in the Roman Empire. Most free persons were rural peasants working as tenant farmers on the vast estates of wealthy landowners. They tended 
to be skilled people because the person that they were indebted to would train them in a field that there's no way a free person could get the training for. And they would handle money. They would speak on behalf of their master. But harboring a missing slave right here that Paul is doing made you financially liable for the loss. So that's, that's where this, it's very similar. That's where we find Paul. But Paul doesn't stick with keep him a slave. He doesn't. He subverts the issue of slavery in light of the gospel. In light of the good news of Jesus Christ, he sees the change in Onesimus and he says, you need to reconcile right now because Jesus has changed your life. He's asking for reconciliation between two people that the culture at the time would have said there's no way. There is no way. There's a few debates that there's no way you're going to get an answer to. So there's the Michael Jordan people and there's the LeBron people. And they're never going to meet, okay? No one's going to be like, well, you know, maybe it was Michael. And originally they start with LeBron. No one's changing their mind, okay? Let's be honest. Don't even try. In this case, there was no way that he would have let him go. But Paul appeals, and it says, because of the love of God. God's love is the reason for reconciliation, God loved us first, loved you and me, us first, so that we can love others. Paul says he could command Philemon, but he doesn't. He prefers to appeal to him. This shows the power of God's love. The display of love following a command is not the same as an appeal. It's not the same. It's the difference between asking a friend to do something and commanding a child to do something. You know, the expectation when you say to a child, stop, don't go in the road. It's different. You won't go to your friend and be like, stop, don't go in the road, unless they're going to be hit by a car. But, I mean, you just don't, you don't talk the same way. And he's appealing to him because God's love will transform. When people do it of their own free will because of the love of God, it shows the transformational power of God's love. It shows it because it's through free will that you decide to do this. Love is a command in the Bible. We are to love, but it can't be sentiment or words, actions have to follow. That's why I found I'm at a loss for words for what's been happening in our country because I don't know where to start. Where do you start? And sometimes it's just saying something or, or sharing something or encouraging someone. And most of the time it's sharing from God's word. Paul is appealing here because he doesn't want Philemon just because he was told to. You know, my, my kids, they're great kids, six, four, two, and about eight months. Well, the eight-month-old I don't do this with because he's too, he's too young. But when they have to apologize, have to, okay, right? We tell them to apologize. Usually the first sorry is like this. Maybe, maybe this is your sorry too, so. Sorry. It's like, that's missing the point. You're missing the point. I'm not trying to compel you to be reconciled to others by just going, sorry. That's not the heart of it. Paul here is asking for the heart of Philemon, not just the actions that are kind of like, "Mm." he's asking for more than that. He wants him to change because the good news of Jesus makes it right. It's the right thing to do. Philemon has to decide to love. He has to decide to love Onesimus that ran and stole from him. 
two things right there. Are you deciding to love others? Others that have wronged you? Are you loving others that you disagree with? Love is a choice. When you love God, you don't fall into it, okay? I hate to, I hate to ruin, ruin that, but we, like Philemon, have a choice to love others. We choose to love like God first loved us. So, I know reading the New Testament is a little bit like sitting on a bus. You ever sit on a bus? And when you sit on a bus, you overhear all the conversations. Someone's talking to someone on the cell phone, da da da. You know, like, like you're getting half of the responses, and you can kind of guess what the friends are going to respond with, right? Like, oh, I think he's talking to his wife about dinner. Or, oh, they're meeting up later for something, da da da. So we need to know what we actually can know about these pas- this passage in these verses. So we, we can know that Philemon was a key member of the church. It says they met at his house in verse 2. He owns a slave named Onesimus. Ironically, Onesimus means useful. That's kind of odd right now when he's basically useless to him. He ran away from Philemon and probably stole from him. The penalty for a runaway slave in the Roman Empire was death. Simple. If Philemon, if he were to spare Onesimus the death penalty, he would be considered very gracious. Like, why would you ever do that? Onesimus, we know, has found his way to Paul, and Paul leads him to Jesus, probably in, in Ephesus rather than Colossae. This new spiritual reality transformed Onesimus from useless to useful. He's living with purpose, and his name is now truth. So imagine you were born and your parents named you useful, right? Oh, no one wants that? Okay, I don't want that. But if you, na- you were named useful, and you were completely useless, you were kind of lazy, you, you, you didn't do what your name said, but he's like, hey, he's actually useful now. This is what he was named, and now it's true. And there's been some dramatic changes here that can only lead us back to God's love for us. A scholar describes this as a butterfly effect. And the moment I said butterfly effect this morning, I had two or three people say to me, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Ashton Kutcher, yeah. I'm like, no, not from the movie. Butterfly effect is a term that comes from the study of weather systems, whereby small causes have greater effects. And I'm telling you this morning, a small difference in your life right now can have a large effect on your family in generations for generations for generations and can have a greater effect right now. This butterfly effect here is that a, a Colossian slave taking the step of faith has an effect on us right now. Isn't it weird? We know about this guy named Onesimus and everyone's like, 2,000 years ago. Global and eternal effects. This is a good reminder that church is not a building, but the people. Church services are a gathering of the people of God, but not the only expression of the church. We need reminders of this. I needed reminders of this this week. I needed this quote. It says, This is yet another reminder that serving God's kingdom should never be about building empires, as if congregations and church networks belong to individual leaders. But it should always be about growing families. It's about relationships. It's about people. Simple. We are the church. And the bar 
The bar that God sets for us with his love is way higher than anyone else sets for us. And the reason is because we have the Holy Spirit and we have the opportunity and the ability to make change happen in our world. We are the family of God. We're committed to each other's welfare. The most beautiful thing that's happened out of all this is when people have given to other people because they were in need. It's like genuine need right now. We are committed to being spiritual parents like Paul. Paul was a spiritual parent to Philemon. He was to Onesimus. He led them both to Jesus Christ. And we gather to worship in homes, in coffee shops, in businesses, and maybe on the lake right now. Huh? Somebody on the lake? And we gather in any space. We are not defined by this building or a place. We're defined by Jesus Christ. Paul was the spiritual parent to Philemon and Onesimus. We're spiritual siblings and parents. So, this is a question that I ask myself very often. In fact, pretty much every day. Who are you leading towards Jesus? Who are you leading in that direction? Who are you reconciling with? Who are you loving like God first loved you? And maybe if your answers are all family members, your net needs to get a little broader. You need to, it needs to be a little bit broader than that. Who are you partnering with? You know, I'm a guy and I find the older I get, the less opportunity that I have and space I have for meeting with other men, either one-on-one -on -one or in small groups, because you know what? <laughs> it's hard. And sometimes it's even harder to partner with someone and have that accountability to say, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. But you, want, you need someone else cheering you on. So how are you passing the acid test of what it means to follow Jesus? You know, this morning, the acid test is not necessarily going and doing something that you see on the news, but it might be as simple as praying for people. It might be as simple as being encouraged or specifically finding people that know, that you know need Jesus and praying for them. Or it might mean listening. It might mean repenting. But whatever it is, it's going to take you closer to Jesus when you do it. If we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to display grace and peace. People will see evidence of us being a follower and God's love will help us reconcile relationships with each other. So, so what? what? What's the big deal? Why is this guy waving his hands on stage so much? What, why does this matter? It's because God first gave us grace and peace so that we can display it to others. And are you going to fail? Yeah. Are you going to struggle with that? Yeah. But God first gave you grace and peace, and that's how you have the opportunity to give others grace and peace. And then, secondly, God produces evidence of true discipleship. God's love, the reason for reconciliation. I am telling you right now that the God of the universe loves you as a child of God just as much as he loves every single person on this planet, no matter what they've done, no matter who they've, they've wronged, no matter what substance they take, no matter what happens, he loves you as a child of God just as much as he loves every single individual person. And that is why we need to be voices for reconciliation. 
We need to be ears for listening and hearing people's stories. We need to understand that God's love is greater than that. So I'm going to pray this morning. And we're going to continue this series next week, which is going to be very different because it's a very different part of the passage. But I want want to tell you, it burdens me that we can watch and see people that die and it's not a big deal anymore because it's happening. It's just happening. Oh, it's just happened again. Just happened again. I mean, it just burdens me because God loved me so much and God loves that person just as much as he loves me. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, God, that you would be the God of the universe that you are and love us as a child of God. Help us to see opportunities to reconcile relationships. God, help us to be ears that listen to the pain and the hurt that is going on in the world, the grief. For those that need Jesus, they need him. God, help us to have the opportunities. Let us not be afraid. Let us not be concerned about what people think. Let us go into your word and see who you are, first of all. And let that inform our life. Let that that show evidence of true faith. But God, help us to be a people of grace and peace. Grace for those that maybe don't think like us. Peace for those that disagree. But God, most of all, let us not be a divided church in a divided world. Let us be united by Jesus Christ in rooting out injustice in the world and by your grace, Help us to have grace for others. We say all this in Jesus' name.